All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25. So, guys in the booth, the title of my message. I know, I, I, I'm, just not a, I'm just not real great at giving titles. And I'm going to share the blame with you guys. You guys aren't always real great at getting them. So, so uh, I've, looked at, I've looked at some of them. I've looked at CDs and stuff and looked at the message and looked at the title and said, what was that? <laughs> so I'll, I'll take my share of the blame. I need to announce the title. But this is Bible Mysteries. Bible Mysteries. B-I-B-L-E. M-Y-S. T-E-R-I-E-S. All right. All right. Just having a little fun with these guys. I uh, try not to have too much fun because these guys can start playing with the mic. Okay? And if you've ever had that happen, that's an experience. I'm going to tell you that right now. All right. Proverbs chapter 25. And Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Do you ever stop, stop and think about the first part of that verse? What does that mean? It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in the time we have this morning, we ask that you speak to us. Help me to say the things that are necessary, the things that are edifying. And Lord, there's more that can be said on this subject uh, than we've got hours left in this day. Truth be known. So, Father, help me to be discerning as to those things that would edify. Uh, Father, there's all kinds of believers here in the room and looking in online. There's probably some people that don't know you yet. We pray, Father, that this would be the day of days for them. They might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Father, we pray for your people that we might gain a better understanding of some things from the Word of God. Lord, I know that I'm bringing something doctrinal, practical, and yet deep and spiritual in a day and age where it seems like it's the surface that everybody wants to skip a stone across. We live in the day and age of uh, bullet points and little flashes up on the screen, split-second things, and it seems like our attention has gotten to be like that, Lord. We just don't have the attention span we used to have. Father, captivate our attention with the Word of God, knowing, Lord, it's so important in our lives as believers. It's what we're going to feed on day by day, and that we might gain a greater understanding of your plan and your purpose with individuals, with nations, and with this world in the end. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. And so that brings us to the word mystery. The word mystery. The word mystery has a lot of different definitions for a lot of different people. Webster's 1828, one of the definitions is a profound secret, something wholly unknown or something kept cautiously concealed. He goes on to say in religion, it's anything in the character or attributes of God or in the economy of divine providence which is not revealed to man. And how many of us would be willing to admit there's some things about God that we know are mysterious? They're hard for us to grasp. And then 
he, he goes on to say, that which is beyond human comprehension until explained. And then he goes on to quote 1 Timothy chapter 3 where it says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. So some of these mysteries are things <clears throat> that are revealed to us, <clears throat> excuse me, that were previously hidden, but they are now unveiled. But in spite of the fact they've been unveiled, we're not still going to fully understand them. We're going to have to accept them by faith. Is there anybody who would stand up today and say, I understand everything in this Bible? We'd be foolish to do that. And yet there are many things that we grasp by the eye of faith, even though we don't understand it with our human limitations. I think the expression is get my head wrapped around it. And just take, for instance, the person of God, Jesus Christ, God incarnate in a man. Is there anybody here that really understands that? Yet we accept it by faith. How about this one? Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're going to talk about that one this morning. How many of you here are saved this morning? Raise your hand. Okay. All right, look around. That was just about every hand that I could see. Jesus Christ is in every one of us. How does that happen? Oh, by the way, when I come to him in prayer, I feel like I have his undivided attention. But you mistakenly think so, too. Because <laughs> it couldn't be so, could it? Ah, but it is. It is. How can he fully indwell me and fully indwell you? And on and on and on it goes. We call this a mystery. There are actually seven in Scripture. One is the indwelling Christ. The other is Christ in the church. Another one is the blindness of Israel. <laughs> we won't get to that one this morning. We'll get to it eventually. You know, the blindness of Israel does puzzle me sometimes. I've heard quotes of Jewish leaders scratching their heads and being puzzled about the fact that born-again, Bible-believing Christians seem to favor them, have sympathy toward them, try to help them, vote in favor of them. A lot of Christians will vote in favor of a candidate that's pro-Israel over someone who's not, which, by the way, I think is wisdom. I think if there's one thing that could spare America is we could end up being one of the sheep nations in Matthew chapter 25. But I heard this leader just not only questioning it, but being suspicious of it. What are they up to? What are they up to? Uh, we're up to just living the Bible. We realize that every author of this book is Jewish. We realize that God gave the Savior of this world and that one that indwells us through the tribe of Judah. We understand that God blessed that nation, and through that nation, God said that Abraham would be a blessing to the families throughout the earth. <coughs> And yet, they stand back and they get suspicious. Did you ever wonder why 
conservative causes, just say just here in America, if nothing else, would favor Jews and favor Israel. You understand that, don't you? Why do so many Jews vote liberal? It's the, blind, the mystery of the blindness of Israel. Um, how about this one? The mystery of the rapture. Paul said, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's a great nursery verse. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. How about the deity of Christ? We already talked about that. How about this one, the mystery of iniquity? Mystery of iniquity. We certainly won't get to that one this morning, but... You know, I look at what's going on around us, and, and, and by the way, I'm working on a message called Your Focus. I'm finding a lot of Christians losing their focus. As the world around us, and not just the world around us now, folks, but the country around us, is unraveling. And I mean the unraveling is accelerating. Can, can I just get a little bit ahead of myself here? Folks, the citizenship we have in this country is secondary to the citizenship we have up there. And we've got to keep that focus or we'll end up unraveling with everything around us. But you know, there have been times where I look at what's going on and I think to myself, okay, what's behind that craziness? Or who's behind that craziness? Is it the media again? Is it the Marxist Democrats again? Is it this group or that group or that person or that person? And then I realize that we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. And behind it are principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. And when you try to fight those things solely in the flesh you end up shadow boxing because the real enemy is someone that can't, can't be seen with the naked eye that's got to be taken on in spiritual warfare according to Ephesians chapter 6 and I don't know if you've ever had that thought I mean I, mean, I know what the Bible says but as a practical matter I start looking at it and I go what motivates somebody to do that? It's, it's so orchestrated. And so some people fall into the idea that, well, you know, there's all these different conspiracies and everybody gets together and has all of these meetings. And can I suggest to you that people don't get along well enough for all that? Let's try to get three people to agree in your neighborhood about anything. And I'm not discounting some of that. But I think the vast majority of the conspiracy comes from the conspirator out of the pit. And he's got a host of emissaries that motivate and suggest and push and prod and cajole people who think they're coming up with great ideas, but they're just full of the devil. And, and, and I, I don't mean to keep beating the same part of the drum till we end up with a, a hole in the drum head. But I told you five, it, 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 between five and 10 years ago, I've been saying, I believe that the biggest religion that is gonna disrupt our way of life ultimately is, is climate change. 
I mean, this madman in California said in, in, in 13 years, no fossil fuel burning combustion engines. We're all going to be just humming down the road in our EVs. And by the way, if you want an EV, go for it. I think there's a lot of pretty neat things about them. But I don't think they should be jammed down anybody's throat. And we're going to convert all the vehicles, all the bazillions of vehicles to electric. Oh, turn your air conditioner off, flip the lights off. Between 4 and 9 today, we're having a brownout. I mean, it's madness. And you look at that and you go, could anybody be that crazy naturally? Well, there's more to it than that. More to it than that. Parents taking their underage children. Folks, where did child abuse go? What? I, I thought if you spanked your kid and left marks on their hind end, you, health and welfare would come and get you, but now you can take them in uh, for surgery and get them mutilated for life. And that's woke. Boy, I'm glad when I was <coughs> 10 years old, and I said to my folks, hey, Dad, I want to be a pirate someday. He didn't drag me into to, uh, eye removal and peg leg surgery. <laughs> I still got two eyes and both legs. Where's this madness coming from? If you spend too much time trying to figure it out on a human level, you'll go crazy yourself. And you'll start unraveling with everything all around you. I'm, I'm preaching another message now. Sorry. I, I'm, 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 I'm preparing for this, but it's, it's under my skin. But it's called the mystery of iniquity. And folks, it's ramping up. It's, it's ramping up. And we're getting out of here in a mystery, the rapture. But when we do that, mystery of iniquity is going to accelerate like nothing we're looking at now. And then lastly, according to the book of Revelation, mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots, the harlot church. You know, when people look for the Antichrist, they're always looking at uh, political entities. They're always looking at industrial entities. They're always looking at some, uh, well, millionaire is nothing anymore. And, and, and billionaires are getting common, and now we're talking about trillionaires. Everybody's looking for somebody like that. Never forget the old harlot church which has never lost sway for centuries, which ruled the world undisputedly through the dark ages and is a chameleon and is waiting to show his true colors once again during the tribulation period. The one man that claims to be the incarnation of Jesus Christ when he speaks ex cathedra from the chair. Don't rule that old guy out. 
according to Revelation 17 and 18. So these are those seven mysteries. Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're new here, I hope you don't mind that you stumbled in, into a church where you're actually going to learn some Bible doctrines. I mean, it's gotten so bad anymore that the guys get up and preach against Bible doctrine. Like, it's wrong to learn Bible doctrine. Like, let's stay stupid. Okay? You know, let's just talk about getting a raise out of the boss, getting along as a family, knocking a couple strokes off of my golf score, and... How to have, of course, the most important thing in the Bible, everybody knows it by what's all's being preached, how to have a better sex life. Don't be shocked. You've heard that word before. <laughs> I mean, to hear modern preaching so-called anymore, you'd think that's all that was in the Bible. As though some of them really are in that emphasis. And doctrine? Get out of here with that. You'll confuse us because we don't care about it. That's why the average Christian doesn't know how to get around his Bible, doesn't read his Bible every day, and he is vulnerable to every wind and whim of false doctrine, and everything is about coming and getting a good feeling. Church has become a religious intoxicant. Not unlike the drug intoxications I used to get before I was saved when I went to rock concerts and got it all jacked up. And that's what so-called worship has become. Why? There ain't a whole lot of interest in this anymore. Well, you know what? Let's be a remnant. Let's be a faithful remnant. Jesus said, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let's be part of that remnant. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. How important is this stuff? Look what Paul said. Look at verse 1. He said, let a man so account of us. Now, now keep in mind, the Apostle Paul did something with the church in Corinth he shouldn't have had to do. He had to defend his own ministry. These were his converts. He, he, had, he had proven himself to them, humanly speaking. And others came in behind and said, well, you know, the Apostle Paul, his bodily presence is weak and, content, and his speech is contemptible and you know, and, and, and he's, he's a little off on that, a little off on that, and he's got the emphasis on the wrong syllable over here. We'll, we'll straighten everything out for you guys. And Paul had to go back and defend himself with this bunch. And notice one of the things that he brought out. He said, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ, and watch this, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul, as a minister of the word of God, said that he was a steward of the mysteries of God. He was responsible to God for these very things. 
I'm going to suggest to you, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just saying the way it is. You snag the average Christian minister, so-called in America today, and ask him to even name the seven mysteries in the New Testament. That's like getting the average unsaved person out on the street. You say, how are you going to get to heaven? Oh, I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments. Can you name them? Nope. <laughs> how are you going to be a steward of something you don't even know is there? You know what that's a product of? That's a product of no longer studying the Bible. No longer studying the Bible at home. No longer studying the Bible in church. No longer studying the Bible in seminary or Bible college. Most of you don't know this, but the average seminary and Bible college, they don't study the Bible, they study about the Bible. Ten clever little outlines to lay across the top of 1 Corinthians that'll give you exciting little messages that are like little stones that skip across the top of the water, but not chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book. It's a lost art. And Paul said... We're stewards of these mysteries. I am accountable to God for, for, for teaching these and preaching these and understanding these things. Why? Because they have implications to all of us in our walk with the Lord. He says in verse 2, he says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful. So we live in a day and age where there's a lack of concern for these things, but they're still important. And these help us to set our affection on things above. There are four of these mysteries that are Pauline. When I say they're Pauline, they're things that were given to Paul to reveal to the body of Christ that weren't revealed in the Old Testament. One of them is Jew and Gentile in the same body, the body of Christ. Another one is this indwelling Jesus Christ living inside of us. And so let's take a look at this one this morning. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. No Jewish saint in the Old Testament could have envisioned this. No Jewish saint in the Old Testament envisioned any Gentiles getting in on the things of God, much less being fellow heirs with those Gentiles and part of the body of Christ. <clears throat> but the Bible talks to us about the indwelling Jesus Christ. And the mysterious part of this is the sinless one dwelling in a sinner. The sinless one dwelling in the sinner. <laughs> The resident becoming president, the border becoming the boss. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 25. Paul says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. By the way, there's another word that's gone the way of the dinosaur. We won't take the time on it this morning, but the word dispensation. He says in verse 26, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. It was revealed to the body of Christ through Paul. Verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Folks, I hope we don't take that great truth for granted. I hope that this truth is not just something we believe because it makes us feel good about ourselves, but the idea that Jesus Christ is living inside of me, well, yeah, that makes me feel good, but I realize that the resident must be the president and that the boarder must be the boss. You see, there's implications of holy living. If I believe Christ is living inside of me, I ask this first question, how does the sinless one dwell in a sinner? And then I also ask the second question, which logically follows, how should that one live in light of that resident that dwells within? You know, I could stand up here this morning and spend a lot of time thumping on you with a bunch of do's and don'ts, but I have a feeling you'd work your way around that if this truth isn't real to you. I also know that if this truth is real to you, it's going to draw you to God in holy living. When I realize that Christ is living inside of me, when I realize that according to 1st and 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 that I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit in this body, I am sobered up to realize that that is not unlike the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament where God dwelt on the mercy seat. And only the high priest was, was able and allowed to go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. Believe me, the cleaning lady didn't go in there every week and dust off uh, those, uh, those uh, angels overlooking the mercy seat. Amen? And I come to the realization that my body is that temple. And I say with Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher during the Great Awakening, who said this about my, himself. He said, when I look into my heart and perceive its infinite wickedness, I think it's a pit deeper than hell. Another preacher, a contemporary, a contemporary of his name, Berkeley, said, he said, when I pray, I sin. When I preach, I sin. My very repentance needs to be repented of, and my tears need washing in the blood of Christ. And yet he still lives inside of me. man said one time to a Christian, do you still sin? He said, yeah, I still have trouble with sin. And he said, well, I thought you were saved. The Christian replied by saying, I am. And then he said, well, then how can you be saved and still sin? He said, well, I still sin, but being saved sure has complicated things. <laughs> it really comes all simply down to this. We know biblically, and this is the goal. This isn't just some bubblegum thing that somebody says to you after you get saved to make you feel good. It is a biblical fact that Christ is living inside of you, the hope of glory. And the mystery is how he can fully indwell all of us. 
yet each of us individually, how we can hear all of our prayers and yet pay attention to each of us individually, and he's never spread too thin. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He is all-knowing. In the eyes of the Lord, the Bible says, they're in every place, beholding the evil and the good. David said, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. And then the battle, the battle inside of us. Paul says the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Shortly after a lot of people are saved and they don't understand this battle inside of them, the new man versus the old man, and they come to the conclusion, well, maybe I'm not saved. Well, if you know Christ is your personal savior, you're saved. But you still got a monster living inside of you. And the Bible says, put on the new man and put off the old man. Two natures beat within my breast. One is foul, one is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate, the one I feed will dominate. The one I feed will dominate. I remember shortly after I got saved, I ended up at a rock concert. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Brain salad surgery, a big skull above the platform. Very spiritual, very edifying. And I remember I wasn't there for very long and I looked around and something inside of me said, you don't belong in here, Buster. And I was riding with a bunch of other guys. I couldn't wait for that thing to end. I couldn't wait to get home. I couldn't wait to sober up. I couldn't wait to never go to one of those again. Prior to that, it was only a matter of could I get my hands on the tickets. But after that, I knew that was not a place for a child of God. And so it was in your life when you got saved. If you're a faithful steward of this great truth, you will grieve the Holy Spirit of God less. You will understand your walk with God and you will understand your security not just as a great benefit, not as a ticket to sin, but as a sobering truth that I am now a walking holy of holies. And who in the Old Testament economy would have dared to go into that place and defile the mercy seat knowing they would likely lose their life in the process? Doesn't the Bible say something like, if any man defile the temple, him shall God? What's the next word he uses? Destroy. That's not Old Testament. That's New Testament. Let's close with this this morning. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. And the stewardship of this great truth, Christ in us, will cause us to sober up about our walk with the Lord, to sober up about where we take God and where we bring the Holy Spirit and the things we say and do. And then it also brings a great truth to our attention. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. The Bible says, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, 
you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. You saved here this morning, you're sealed. You saved here this morning, no one can break that seal but God himself. All the discussion, all the argument about how people can lose their salvation and why people think why is all on this human lower level, depraved of understanding way of talking about it. God says, I sealed you. That's it. You're stuck being saved. You're stuck with going to heaven. You're stuck with the Spirit of God living inside of you. And as I've already suggested, that's a very comforting thing on one hand, but also a very sobering thing. I've heard people say they believe they could lose their salvation. Oh, you just want a ticket to sin. No, I think maybe they do. Because I'm telling you something right now. What I know of God... Places my old man wants to take me, I wouldn't dare go there. Things my old man wants me to do, I wouldn't dare do them. Why? Because a thrice holy God lives inside of me. And if I drag him around through too much mud and sin, he may just decide I need to get out of this temple and there's only one way out. I mean, if you believe you lost it and you're lost again, well, then you can live like a lost man. But if you're saved here this morning and you understand you are sealed, you know you can't live like a lost man or woman and get away with it. One of the surest ways to know you're saved is when you get out of the way and the Lord chastens you. Let let me tell you something. When my kids were growing up, we chastened our children when they got out of the way. I didn't go and chase other people's children because they weren't mine. God doesn't go around Chasing the devil's children, but he does chase in his own. And as I said already, it's comforting as well as sobering. One last verse. Let's go to chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. The whole discussion of the security of the believer, usually it, it, it usually runs in such a low rung of the ladder that it doesn't even count for anything. People are usually talking a one, a one and a half. You need to be some up, somewhere up here around eight, nine, or ten. Here, here's where the argument is won or lost, or the discussion. Look at chapter 4 and look at verse 30. Back up to verse 29. Let's catch a little bit of context here. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are, there's that word again, sealed unto the day of redemption. Nobody, nothing can break that seal until the day of redemption. When Christ comes and your body, the one thing that is not redeemed, Folks, if you're saved here this morning, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. If you're saved here this morning, your soul is saved, your spirit is joined to the Lord, 
What's not redeemed is this body. And one of these days, that day of redemption is going to take place. And that seal will no longer be needed. But until that day, you are sealed unto the day of redemption. You leave this place today as we're dismissed as a child of God with Jesus Christ living inside of you. The Holy Spirit sealing you. Folks, there's nothing out there in the world like it. Take the greatest celebrity with all their fame, all their notoriety, all their fortune, and perhaps a few one-dimensional talents, and you know what they are alongside of that? They're nothing. They're nothing. You are a child of God this morning, and you got God living inside of you. Because of the first of the Pauline mysteries, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these mysteries. I ask you to help me to be a good steward of these things. And Father, as we go forth from this place, may we be excited and comforted in all that you've invested in us. But Lord, may we also be sobered, knowing, Lord, that you dwell inside of us, not unlike, not unlike your presence, your power on the mercy seat in the Old Testament temple, in that holy of holies, that sacred place that the high priest could only go to once a year on the day of atonement with the blood of the lamb. Thank you for that precious blood Thank you for that relationship we have with you. Thank you that we are bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh and part and parcel with you, Lord. And so help us to go forth from this place, walking in the Spirit. Father, we pray for that one without Christ today. May they come to a saving knowledge. May they realize, Lord, that without Jesus Christ, all the religion, all the rituals, all the duties will avail nothing to bring them even a step closer to this great truth. They need to put their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection for them. And may they be indwelled by Christ through the Holy Spirit of God. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 388. I know whom I have believed. Number 388.
Brother Dave Hahn, would you please come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth that we heard this morning. Christ in us, the hope of glory. May that work in our hearts and our minds such that we go out in this world living for you. And Lord, that it would inspire us to go on for you. And Lord, that we wouldn't let the shiny objects of this world distract us. But God, know that you're living in us. And we're not our own anymore. That we've been bought with a price. And so, Father, may we desire and thirst after you to live holy before you, knowing that, Father, you command us to be holy as you are. And, Father, thank you that you've enabled us. Thank you that you've given us that Holy Spirit of God that dwells in us. Thank you for that. Now, as we go out uh, this afternoon, Father, uh, bring us back to, to hear the preaching of the Word and to see these baptisms and rejoice in you. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.